introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. Fresh off the first leadership conference at Byron Steel High School this past week. Uh, another episode of Minor Wisdom. This one's a first for Minor Wisdom. This will be a two-parter. So this week and next week, I'll have Miss Amy Steele-Wernig. Amy Wernig, if you will. She married, she married Nate Wernig. And uh, if you know Nate, he is the technical director at the Ensemble Theater, also an educator in the past, and uh, just an all-around good guy. But Amy is an even gooder, all-around good girl, good teacher, extremely smart mind, a constant learner. She's constantly educating herself, which is what we should be doing as educators, so that we are always one step ahead of our students, especially this day and age. But She's an amazing person to talk to, and it became a two-parter because after this initial interview that you're going to hear now, she contacted me and said, Blake, I want to say more. And so we met for lunch. She bought, which is great. I will always meet for lunch if you're buying. Just a little word of advice or a way to get me out. But uh, we had a second chat. That chat you'll hear next week. So once again, Amy Wernig, dramaturg extraordinaire. But first... The Groner Joke. Mom asks her kid, why did you get such a low mark on the test? Kid says, because of absence. Mom, you mean you were absent on the day of the test? Kid replies, no, but my friend who sits next to me was. Well, I started teaching, uh, oh golly late 90s. Um, I was originally planning to be an English teacher, but every position I interviewed for, they needed an English teacher to do something else. And a lot of English teachers still do other things. Um, and I interviewed for an extraordinary amount of jobs where they needed an English teacher who could also teach theater. And even though I wasn't certified to teach theater, I did junior high theater, I did high school theater, I grew up in a family where we went to go see theater. I'm like, what the heck? Teaching theater. Yeah, I got this. And uh, I started at Athens, Ohio, at Athens High School in rural Athens, Ohio. And um, I quickly learned I was a good English teacher, but I was a really good theater teacher. But I was flying by the seat of my pants. I had right. absolutely no idea what I was doing. Most of us are. Yeah, and still to this day, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So I did that for a couple of years and um, wanted to leave Ohio. So I went to the Washington, D.C. area, and I taught at James Madison High School in Vienna, Virginia, about seven miles west of Washington, D.C., and uh, both at Athens High School and at Madison High School, I was a single theater teacher, so teaching all the theater classes, running pretty well-established, thriving theater programs, and teaching a full load of English all by myself. Hmm. And I was young, so I had tons of energy, you know, not married, no kids, none of that. So I could completely and totally dedicate my life to my job. And as much as I loved my job, like I loved waking up every morning, I loved going to work, I quickly realized that if I kept that pace up, I was gonna fry burnout before I even hit five years of, uh, of teaching. So I took a break and being the nerd that I am, my break was going back to graduate school hmm. full time to get my second master's degree. My first one is in secondary education. And I went back to Ohio University to get my master's degree in theater history and criticism. 
And I know, like, That's right? what it's called, really? That's seriously, uh, my master's okay. degree is in theater history and criticism. Okay. Yeah, so I uh, learned how to be a dramaturg. Yeah. And uh, part of what I had to do to finish up my graduate program was do an internship. So I applied to dramaturgy internships all over the country. And the Alley Theater in Houston, Texas, by far, gave me the best offer. Yeah. Hit it off with Joe Angel Babb, who was my mentor, and Mary Scott Hagel, who were my, my mentors at the Alley. Um, packed my car, my old Saturn with my stuff, my cat Onyx, who was named after a really bad rap group that was popular when I was in high school, and we drove down to Texas. And not being a Texan, I never thought I would visit Texas, much less, right. you know, end up living here. Um, needless to say, that internship at the Alley was definitely um, where I, my the calling, right the right decision, yeah. right place yeah. at right time, because that, after I finished my internship, it turned into a job. And I was a resident dramaturg at the Alley Theater yeah. for several years, and then the Director of Education and Community Engagement, and as you know, I also got to be an adjunct professor at yeah. the University of Houston School of Theater and Dance. So, uh, there you go. Yeah, so so you're like Texan, You're well, you are a Texan now. You are an inherited Texan. An inherited Texan, which of course my husband where, is Where is Athens? Of. Athens is in south southeast Ohio, very close to the West Virginia border. Okay. So it's like the Appalachian area. Okay. So super rural and super beautiful. Right. Yeah. Do you miss it? I do. Yeah. I will never feel like a Texan. Okay. Even though my home is here, you know, my husband is a Texan. Right. Both my children were born here. I love the life I have here. I love all of the people I've met. And I've got a welcome to Texas story in a second. <laughs> I will never feel inherently like a Texan. Right. I will always inherently feel like a Midwestern girl from, yeah. Okay. Do you still have family in Ohio? I do. My family's okay. all up in Cleveland. How often do you get to go back? Once to twice a year. Okay. It sucks. It hits do you drive? Really, uh, drive and fly. We do a combination. Okay. Yeah. I was finding. Say, I, 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 I lived in Cincinnati for right. two summers, yeah. and so I drove both times and mm -hmm. made it in a day. You know, yeah, with you, the kids. You can. You yeah, can. Well, oh, you I was alone, it. though. So My kids are troopers. We've okay. done Cleveland to Houston. It's not Yeah, we did easy. it. It's not easy. <laughs> and we did it in 24 hours. We, yeah. like, hit, like, our stopping point in Tennessee, and our kids were like, let's just do this. So they're oh, wow. troopers. Thankfully, they're good travelers. Yeah, good for them. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I, yeah. I was alone. I had to be a good trooper. I, yeah, I had no choice. I had <laughs> yeah. to talk to myself. Well, great. So... Now, just, and you can tell your, your welcome to Texas story in a mm -hmm. second, but um, I remember you, or I remember hearing your name before I had you as uh, adjunct professor for theater history, right? Theater history, yeah. theater history, too. Um, yep. And because I, yeah, was it theater history one or two? Do you remember? I think it was. I had I the I, old guy first, and yes. he was like just kind of a transition guy, and I don't remember him at all. Yes. I remember his class. I don't yeah. remember who he is. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Yeah, we were I'd theater history, too. Okay. You and your cohort at yeah. U of H were some of the most brilliant artists. We were fun. With whom I've ever worked. And that, but yeah. that was also back when, and that's not a knock on the current uh, status of UH, but that was back when the undergrad ran the program. You guys ran the program. Yeah. We had tremendous opportunity. So it was a lot different. It was totally, um, yeah, you got to be creative. Yeah. And you got to follow your really quirky, well. yeah, it was it was really a great time. Uh, and, and now it's a master's program that yeah. has bachelor's, you know, a bachelor's degree that you can get. But, definitely, definitely. Um, which is kind of how it should be in a way. But anyway, that's a different, benefits to both. Yeah, yeah, it depends on what you want. But mm -hmm. um, so I knew you though, I knew of you before you walked into UH because you you made an impact at the alley rather quickly. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and my in at the alley was the Crone family, so yes. Charles Crone oh, and, and Chesley yeah. and Julia is you know a, one of my closest, if not the closest, friend of mine. So mm -hmm. she, I guess through that maybe is how I knew of Amy Steele. Gotcha. Um, and just 
I think Charles talked you up. Charles Crone. He's so, one of my favorite artists because he's ever. a hist- he talk about a history nerd. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think he found some sort of like he, he I I know he loves Julia to death, but he saw like this different daughter in him because Julia's not a history nerd. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I feel like that's how I got to know you is or started to get to know you started to hear of you mm-hmm. uh, was through that the the alley uh, kind of just you rising up to the top really quick. Yeah, I worked hard. I loved it. And again, I was still young. It was pre-marriage, pre-kids, and I could pour all of myself into that. And then, I mean, I'd go into work at the alley, and I'd look around like, this is ridiculous. This is my job. This is what I have the privilege and honor and whatever you want to call it to do every day. And they're paying me for it. Now, granted, they didn't pay me very much for it, but they were paying me for it. And my whole attitude was I'm going to soak up as much as I possibly can and give as much of myself as I possibly can to this process because because, again, just the gift to be able to work with artists every day in a theater that just, I mean, that's its whole purpose is to bring art into the world. Here's a fun question. Did you ever fudge the authenticity of an item being that being a prop or a costume like <laughs> that hat is close to being accurate but that hat is not accurate that kind of thing I would Did always you? bring it up to the designers like okay. if there was something that was period ish so you're a con- you're more of a consultant you're not consul- necessarily like the absolutely yeah, that's okay. and, and to me very much the dramaturg's job is I am a consultant in the theatrical endeavor and if they decide to go with it then, exactly okay and again at the alley most you know pretty much every single designer. I mean, they knew the choices they were making and why they were making it. And I would raise the question, like, have you considered? And, you know, often they had. Um, There was a a Kevin Rigdon, who's one of my favorite people ever, um, Frame 312. He had, oh gosh, he had decided to use, I think it was window blinds, which actually hadn't been invented by that part, by that time period. And, you know, it's Kevin. He's like, nope, we're good. I'm like, all right, Kevin, you got this. All right. (laughs) I, pro- I posed the question, now I'm walking away. So, yeah. but um, yeah, so you, it, that's it's, funny. and that's a big part of my job too as a dramaturg is, of course, you're the, the historical consultant on a play that is a period play. If it's a contemporary play, um, the consulting I bring is why are we doing this play now? Sure. How does it speak to our community, to our country, to our world? Um, so again, why the tell the story? Of, the relevancy, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, and I work with the entire team. The, the director is ultimately, um, if we're doing production dramaturgy, that's right. my direct collaborator. If it's a new play, the playwright is ultimately my primary person I'm collaborate, collaborating with. But of course I collaborated with the designers and the, um, the actors and the other artists to, to, to fully breathe life into the world of the play and what the playwright intended the play to be and what the playwright intended to communicate to audiences. Right. That's fun. I mean, it just sounds, it's always one of those things that's really, especially when you started, not to date you, but like the, you know, the internet was not what it is today. Not at all. No, Um, I did old school research in the library. Encyclopedia Britannica's, um, yeah, and going to to paper. A Um, lot of that legwork. Is that something, so still today, Mm -hmm. because you still kind of, help along I mean I don't know how much you do at the ensemble if you do anything with with their like dramaturgy kind of stuff but um is that something you try to like do you take the the the, are you what's what I'm trying to um is the internet something you have animosity towards like you're like I used to be able to do it 
That's when a good it was question. Paper, when it you was know, paper, like yeah, right? when I had to flip through books. I I love the internet, and I love I you know I in my classroom whenever I'm working with a group of young artists, we always have somebody I call the Google dramaturg. Like when we're doing <laughs> table work or we're digging deep into the script, if there's something that we haven't researched or that the dramaturg that I'm working with the production because I always have dramaturgs, student dramaturgs on shows that I direct with my students. If there's something that we've overlooked, right. um, I always have a Google dramaturg with their phone. I'm like, hey, Google dramaturg. Google that, look That's it up. Good. And what I'm teaching my kiddos is there are some sources are better than others. Mm -hmm. um, so through that process, because that's the language they speak, it's the way our world <laughs> is. And instead of fighting it, we need to embrace it and use it to the best of our abilities and teach our kiddos how to um, be critical consumers of information. So I love, but I'm still a fan of the library. Yeah. I am, and I still love the books and I love all of the, even the stuff that's out of date because the out of date stuff existed and got us to where we are now so I, I like using a hybrid of old school and new school do you uh, do you teach any sort of recognition of what's authentic and what's not absolutely do you, do you do that oh, uh, yeah. but do you do that with adults too I do as well sometimes you know like my generation I I, I hate this but I, I believe I'm a millennial <laughs> yes you are Blake. although <laughs> uh, you know I don't I don't accept that um, I you're accept, a unique millennial I'm, a, I'm an early millennial yes you so are I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right at the beginning yeah. so <clears throat> I hate that I can't even, uh, you know I want to cut that out of this podcast but um, but uh, my generation has done really well with adapting to technology absolutely but then just right before that, so like my sister, for instance, yeah. she doesn't listen to my podcast, so I can call her out. But um, <laughs> she, for instance, had just a good example, had this round sort of inch and a half tall disc sitting on a desk, plugged in, ready to go. And she didn't realize that all you had to do was say Alexa, right? Like it just, it, it blew her mind when I came over and I said, you have an Alexa? And she pops up. She's like, yes, what do you need? And, and she goes, that's all you had to do? That's it. And so is, but is, you know, the reason I bring that up is because there's, there are some adults that aren't, they're not old, you know, right. they're early forties. That's yeah. not considered old that just haven't been able to in the classroom mm -hmm. uh, teach their kids what is an authentic right. source on the internet and mm -hmm. then what is Wikipedia yeah. or what is something that any schmo can just get on and yeah. type up and say it's authentic. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you have been able to because the masses need that. The masses not, need not that. Not just a room of 30 Absolutely. kids. Absolutely. You know? And so what I do when I'm working with grown-up <laughs> artists, I always cite my sources okay. on all of my materials. I let the artists I'm working with know where I got my stuff. And I will often explain, I got it from this source because, and this source is reliable because. Got it. So I inform them as much as I inform the students that I'm working with. Have you ever come across something that's, that's fooled you so far? Um, that's a great question. Uh, nothing initially fooled me, but nothing I've actually followed through okay. and used. I was able yeah. to catch it before yeah. I use it for... It's that measure twice, cut once you got it. theory. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, again, I think it's the, drama, the, the, the dramaturg in me. I am meticulous in my preparation. Right. I, of course, do my own research. I am very, very thorough and thoughtful about everything I do before making it public. Right. And even the dramaturg, like I have people dramaturg my dramaturgy, you yeah. know, I mean, in, you know, my husband, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be married to an incredibly smart theater artist. And even though my husband's a technical director, he's one of the 
smartest theater people I know, right. and so I'll run ideas by him. And he's, he takes a lot of pride in his work. To, he does, to, to absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I run things by people. Um, and again, we have this great community of you know fellow theater educators right. who are so smart and savvy. So I will often run things by my teaching partners and my husband before I make it public to make sure I've done you know I've yeah. done due diligence. What is uh, what is a good difference between a middle schooler and a high schooler that's being taught by somebody that is so kind of enthralled with this idea that yeah. history is so important? Mm -hmm. Does a middle schooler it seems like to me, and again, I've never taught middle school, yeah. but we, here we are at this summer camp Ooh, where I, I, I get a life. week of middle schoolers, and that's about <laughs> a week too long in my opinion. But um, the, it seems like a middle schooler is going to be a little more spongy, more receptive to it mm -hmm. than a high schooler because the high schooler thinks they've already got it figured out. Is it, am I accurate or is that wrong? Is Actually, that... they're both really spongy. Okay. Um, and they're spongy in different ways. So with my middle schoolers, what I have to do is I have to be very – hands-on and interactive with the way right. that we approach um, dramaturgy. So to give an example, at Seven Lakes Junior High, where I taught last year, my advanced theater three, eight class, um, our fall show was a great play by Laura Jackman called uh, We'll Be Better Later. So and it was a play about you know, junior high kids who've been put into a detention, a camp, but it's really right. a detention center to reform their, you know, online digital you know addictions and uh, we did a tremendous amount of dramaturgy so my my theater three class they were my dramaturgs and I I grouped them up into dramaturgy teams there was one team that was specifically researching you know are we how are we addicted to our phones and how are how is our digital life impacting our health and our sleep especially for junior high kids and then I had another group that was researching specifically um, like camps and detention centers and juvenile right. juvenile justice. Um, I had groups who were completely dedicated to building um, basically like an archive of props and materials and sort of character development background. Like what did these kids have to give up right. once they went into it? So, um, and then I had a kid, I had a sound team. They did a whole Spotify playlist <laughs> that was, in, you know, music inspired by <laughs> We'll Be Better Later. Um, I had a team that wrote play, you know, playbill notes and did QR codes. We had an interactive lobby display as the audience came in. So as they were, you know, waiting for the house to open, they right. could scan these QR codes and take quizzes about their, you know, online addiction and that kind of thing. So. They love that. I mean, they, I, and I gave them a whole dramaturgy background 101. You know what I mean? Yeah. We went through what is a dramaturg, here's a history of dramaturgy, here's what a dramaturg, dra dramaturg can do in different theatrical endeavors. And they were sponges. And I think they were sponges because they knew they were going to get to do it themselves. Got it. And they were going to have ownership, ownership over the process. Yeah. Um, but again, I kept it very hands-on. And um, there was always a product at the end of each day that they had to show me. So there was some, something tangible. Right. With my high school kids, I found they don't necessarily need that, that aspect of that tangible. Right. They can be more heady. They can be more intellectual. They can sit for longer and do really dig deep table work and script analysis. And they can hold, they've got the attention span to hold a conversation and a discussion about a topic way longer than my middle school kiddos. Right. So with my middle school kids, with the junior high kids, I had to, it had to be, here's the thing, now do something with it, make something out of it. Whereas with my high school kids, here's the thing, let's discuss it and bounce ideas off of one another, and then let's apply that to the art or the play that we're breathing life right. into. Do you ever find, and I always, and this is on topic of that show, but mm -hmm. not necessarily on topic of who you are, but do you ever find it ironic to do a show like that or to do some sort of topic like mm -hmm. that 
talking about being on your phones and technology yeah. and then you're them? out there saying here scan this QR code with your phone yes. so that you can take a quiz on your phone <laughs> exactly I know we, and we talked about that too and that yeah. was, and the kids were so yeah. they're so they're so smart you know what I mean yeah and there and we talked about the irony yeah. of that and even though we're being completely hypocritical um where is where's that room in our life for hypocrisy yeah. and is it okay sometimes to be hypocritical yeah. you know so it led to these really again I think we, in general, with young artists and with our students, they are way smarter than we ever give them yeah. credit for. Um, so, yeah, even with those junior high kids, yeah, they pointed out that irony. And it led to a great conversation about the play and yeah. about the dramaturgy of the play. And it's then also, this whole idea, like, oh, but Miss Warnig, are we going to have them turn off their phones during the show? You know, because, again, we asked them to do these QR codes, and we've got all this stuff online. And I'm like... Okay, what do you guys want to do about that? If we do see somebody on the phone while the show's going on, what? Because I had house management, and we did a talk back. We also, um, at the end of each show, we had a talk back. It was moderated by my students, so I taught them that process of, you know, right. that dramaturgical process about how to lead a conversation with an right. audience and how to moderate, and um, that was a topic of conversation, and how do we address it? So, uh, yeah, because I, I try, I try, I try mm -hmm. to preach using technology for good, not evil, Absolutely. right? So it's the, and it's not necessarily by evil, yes, I mean bullying as well, but mm -hmm. but usually, like I've got students, even today I have students, look at this video, it's so funny, yeah. and it's just some random person at a gas station doing Ridiculous. something stupid, yep. and they're cracking up, and I'm sitting there stone-faced, like, yeah, like what's, what, what's the why point? is this funny? Mm -hmm. First of all, Bob Saget is the original <laughs> you know, funny video guys. So don't yes. come at me with these random Twitter. Uh, but yeah, it's trying to teach the kids use this item for mm -hmm. positive things. For you know, yeah. uh, even uh, you know, applying. For, I applied for uh, a position in my district weeks ago that I took a quiz online. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's a personality quiz, and I did it from my phone. Yeah. And you know, but it took. <laughs> 30 minutes but uh <laughs> but still like it's it's like there are there are reasons that this stuff makes it great to li be living right now but then Absolutely. there's also reasons that it makes it more kinda, challenging kinda and, sucks, but and, yeah. and again as educators it's our job to teach our students how to filter out all yeah. the noise the literal and figurative yeah. and metaphorical noise because it's real easy to get caught up in that. so easy um so i said dramaturgy earlier and i keep thinking about it. it's in my <laughs> brain right now i'm like oh my gosh it's like saying casted i know um, <laughs> it's okay i forgive you <laughs> which also somebody said on this podcast uh months ago he it said ca i got casted and was yeah. like oh god it's one of those tricky how do you conjugate that <laughs> verb it's a really tricky <laughs> verb conjugation uh but anyways so back to dramaturgy yes um you i remember in college well first of all i remember thinking about why is this young person teaching me about history i think that's and ironic it was too wasn't um, it? <laughs> and you're still young but uh you're you and your husband are a good pair and we mm -hmm. kind of touched on this earlier that he's this just kind of technical genius for lack of better words yeah. sometimes gets in his own way but yeah, yeah. Uh, I've experienced that a couple times <laughs> he's as sometimes well. too smart for his own yes <laughs> and uh does, what is like give me a day in the life of just the two of you sitting down eating breakfast and talking about <laughs> like just theater you know like anything even even uh, you don't have to get political, but sure. like, mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys have these kind of analytical conversations about non-theater things too. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Is that like, I mean, you have to, you clearly love each other, but is there yeah. like a labor of love a little bit when it comes to some of that conversation? Some of the worst fights we have ever had in our marriage, and we've been married for 13. 
15 years now. Is that how long? Something like that. Close. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Um, have been over plays and <laughs> plays that we've seen. Like, I mean, we got into when I dramaturged Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf at the Alley. We did the 40th anniversary yeah. of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And then in the new house, we did The Goat or Who Was Sylvia. And um, and if we have time, I've got a cool story about that yeah. as well. Well, I still um, need the Texan. Oh, yeah, the, I got to get to the yeah, Texan yeah, story. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we'll keep a list. Um, <laughs> and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is one of my very favorite plays ever. Um, Nate loves it as well, but there was a choice in the way that a line was interpreted. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I mean, we drove home and he's like, you're too close to the play. It's because you were the dramaturg and it's, you can't see it objectively. And if you saw it just as an objective audience member and I'm like, but part of my job is to see it. And I always take a break. Like yeah. I always in the process of the you're rehearsal like, Stop process, the car. I'll get out and walk. Exactly. Like <laughs> seriously, we were screaming at each other and we parked and we're like, Okay, this is ridiculous. Before <laughs> yeah. we walk into the yeah. house, we have to settle this. You see it one way, I see it another. And isn't that the beauty of theater, yeah. right? That's funny. We can, we, our opinions can exist, coexist, and we're both right. Yeah. So, um, and that's what a great piece of theater is supposed to do, right? Get you really thinking yeah. and talking and, and feeling passion, right? Um, and then Hamlet, we saw a production of Hamlet that I dramaturged at the alley. And again, this big, all about Hamlet and again and then we can laugh at ourselves you know what I mean oh, yeah. like most couples are fighting about you know money well, my wife and I what. fight about should you eat cookies for breakfast or not like that's you that's, know, that's, you know. Uh, we just had that argument actually not too long ago that's a valid uh, a valid conversation not to a have. big argument by all in our uh, house it's should yeah. we eat bacon cheeseburgers for breakfast yeah, exactly. I like seriously woke up one day and Nate was eating a yeah. bacon cheeseburger for breakfast and I'm like what are you doing uh, that's not a shock I know that's, he's yeah. like it's a bacon cheeseburger you can always eat bacon cheeseburgers well, it's well, always the right time for a bacon cheeseburger also his justification is bacon Bacon for breakfast. I mean, yeah, exactly. That was just like happens to be a bake, bacon and on a sausage patty. You got it. I, I'm Italian. I eat spaghetti for breakfast, so if you think that's sure. weird. So. Oh, I've eaten. I've actually eaten spaghetti for breakfast too. And it's I'm delicious. Jewish. Um, <laughs> German Jew. Uh, anyway, so d give me your Texas story. You're welcome to Texas. Story. So my welcome to Texas. I was driving down for my internship at the Alley Theater, mm -hmm. and again, I'm coming from Athens, Ohio, with my car, my cat, and my stuff. I cross second day of driving across the border into Texas, and I'm like, oh, thank God I'm in Texas. I'm almost there. And I looked at the map, and yes, it was an old school, like, AAA map. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, are you for real? I've got, like, five more hours yeah. till I'm in Houston. The, the bigness really shocked me, because, again, I come from a part of the country that sure. just isn't big. So I finally, I'm coming in on 59. I had about an hour north of Houston, had to stop to get gas. And I'm filling up my tank, and there's a guy at the tank in front of me, and he's looking at me, he said, hey, are you uh, coming or going? It's like, I'm coming here. And he said, where are you coming from? And then he saw me place, oh, coming from Ohio. It's like, yeah. He walked over, shook my hand, put his hand out, shook my hand. And I'm like, this guy's gonna rob me. Yeah. He's gonna like, something really bad is getting ready to happen. And he shook my hand, he said, well, welcome to Texas. I'm sure Ohio was sad to lose you, but we sure are glad to have you here in Texas. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, insane yeah. and he said so where in texas are you heading i said i'm heading to houston he's like all right that's a big city you watch yourself you be careful now i'm like yes sir he said all right happy travels finished up you know filled up his gas tank got in his car drove away and i'm like this okay this is this hopefully this is a sign of great things to come because that would never right. happen in ohio yeah. and obviously it was like i said here here i am all these years and that's later. the first time you met drew hoovler <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting to see when you great. were going to finish that story that so I could give that punchline. Uh, and then what was the, what was the other story? Oh, and gosh. I don't want to wrap up. Okay. I just want I want to make sure we get the stories out. Before. Oh, the Albie story. Okay, Albie okay, story. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, was Albie at UH when you were there? 
or was it? He was, but we never, he would always come in the semester that yeah. I wasn't yeah, yeah. teaching. Okay. So I never really got to work with him okay. at the alley, but that's but when he, he was, was coming. he was the resident or Yes, he was still the resident time. playwright. And Stuart Ostro was there. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, um, so again, we were doing um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Goat or Who is Sylvia. So first story, I'm just... It's a couple, you know, a couple weeks before production. Mm -hmm. I'm at my desk at the alley. I get a call from Jacob, who was Edward Albee's assistant at the time. And he said, um, Mr. Albee would like to make changes to the script. And I automatically thought the goat because we were doing the regional premiere. Right. So, and it was a relatively new script. So I get the, my copy of the goat out. And he said, actually, no, it's to changes to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. 40 like, years later. 40 right? years later. I'm like, <laughs> whoa. So, and he's like, these are changes he's been wanting to make for a long time. He thinks now's the right time. I think they were getting ready to do a new like anniversary copy, sure. hardback copy of the play or whatever. So um, he, on the phone, read out the cuts. Some were, I mean, like almost 10 minutes out of the end of act two. So one huge cut and then the other cuts were small. Um, and then I noticed that some of the cuts were so small it was one word out of a stage direction. And then when you read the stage direction, completely different intention for that line, right? right. So being as a dramaturg i'm like Whoa. you know i know in a play every word counts right. but that was a really eye open like it literally counts and who better than edward albee right. to you know what i mean craft that kind of precision right so i had to make the cuts and then it was all before we could like you know scan and email something i had to fax the pages to jacob <laughs> like i read all my cuts back and then i scanned them to him he approved them he said okay please make sure that this is part of the you know right. the official script for rehearsal so that the sheer responsibility i had at that moment was you know, and again, I was young. It was like right. you know, late 20s or whatever. So um, anyway, so that was the first part of the story. Then all becomes and, you know, he comes to rehearsal for Virginia Woolf. He goes to rehearsal for the goat. And uh, when we opened the goat, he was still in Houston. And we did talkbacks every Tuesday and Thursday night for that show because it's a play. You, you need to talk yeah. about it after yeah. you see it. So um, before one of the talkbacks, he was, you know, he came to see the show. And uh, before the show started, I said, OK, well, during the talkback, do you want to be involved? Do you want to come up on stage with us? He's like, no, no. I'm just going to stand the audience. He'll ask questions. Yeah. Well, it was hilarious. So, of course, the talkback starts, and everybody who knows, knows anything yeah. about theater knows yeah. Edward Albee is sitting, and, and they were very gracious and very respectful. Nobody right. bothered him or anything like that. But afterward, I said, so what did you think? And he said the talkback went great, and he had the playbill in his hand. He said, did you write these notes? And I said, yeah. And his assistant had actually approved them. So anyway, so somebody yeah. in his estate, you know, his neck of the woods liked them. But anyway, he said, did you write these notes? I said, yes, I did. He said, oh. They're very good, very good. And I just did a comparison about how the goat is basically a Greek tragedy. And so I just did a compare contrast to like classic Greek right. tragedy and how the goat is a modern tragedy. But Edward Albee said he liked my writing. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know what, like one page in the playbill, yeah. right? And it was probably a midnight in Ohio by the time I got home, but I called my mom and my dad. I'm like, mommy, daddy, Edward Albee likes my writing. And I was just so humbled by that compliment. Yeah. So. Anyway, definitely one of the do you have highlights other, of my career. Do you have other encounters with, I mean, I know you have other encounters with playwrights themselves, yeah. but like playwrights on the level of Edward Albee? Um, like, did you ever work with uh, Lanford? I met Lanford. Okay. I didn't have the pleasure okay. or the, the honor of working with him, okay. but everybody said he was just as wonderful and yeah. gracious, so yeah, I did yeah. get to meet him, and he, he was a super cool dude okay. as well. What about, like, I mean, we've already talked about Kevin Rigdon. We don't want to, yeah. uh, his head is already big enough. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I love Kevin too. I mean, yeah. he's he's my mentor. He, he was he was my mentor. I haven't talked with him in a while yeah, about he's one of the just stuff. But best people ever. Yeah, he's very cool and uh, mm -hmm. also uh, extremely knowledgeable. Oh yeah. Um, kind of disgustingly knowledgeable. It's a little weird. It's, it's like yeah. 
his brain has pockets of just this little information that he's walking or it's a filing cabinet it's it's exactly like that it's you ask him a question it takes him a second he kind of looks and then he just comes out out with this answer and Mm -hmm. you're like oh okay you do know the answer um anyway it's it's a little (laughs) disgusting but uh you're you're so with education and Mm with um your time at the alley and all that stuff i (laughs) You just have such a unique background, I guess, is what it is. But yeah. uh, what, what has kept you like? Do you get bored? Never. Like, okay, Never. but but do you but do you do you do you not want to get complacent? You know, you get That's you, you have a really done a lot question. of stuff. Yeah. Maybe not bored mm-hmm. in the in the in sort of an elementary way, but mm-hmm. you know, you've you've gone place to place. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it is it this need to kind of just spread the knowledge, or is it? You know, what, what is it that's, that's keeping you driven like it's, that? It's that. I, so as human beings, every single one of us, we're inherently storytellers. Sure. The fabric that literally makes us who we are is woven from the stories we tell and the stories we receive. Mm-hmm. And what I love most about theater is that theater being the investigation of the human condition is the most um, immediate art form that helps us understand this crazy thing of being human and humanity and all of its beauty and messiness and chaos and complexity, right? So the fact that um, because of that, with every project I do in theater, I am learning something new. I'm a lifelong learner. Like to me, the best theater artists are artists who just love to learn. Um, I love to learn and I love to share what I learn with others. And in that sharing, that giving and receiving of stories, I learned something new from the artists and my students in the room. So I learned something new every single day because of theater. Right. And it's that, um, that inherently joyful process, that inherently curious process um, that keeps me wanting to do what I do. And you know, every play is a different, you're working with a different group of artists on a different script, which Mm -hmm. is a different story. The audience is new every single night. So even though you might be telling that story for, you know, an eight week run, it's literally a different story because of the audience who is receiving it. And I think it's that exchanging of stories, that, um, that constant learning that I'm doing and that the people I'm interacting with and collaborating are doing that really keeps me from from getting complacent. I, I, and I mean, it's sort of cliche, but I, I love what I do. Right. I what, wake up every single morning and I can't wait to go to work. What was the most challenging show you've worked on? <laughs> uh, a junior high production of The Little Mermaid. And I am not joking. <laughs> the Little Mermaid Junior. They're, with junior high kids and teaching junior high is literally the hardest thing I've yeah. ever done in my entire life. Um, God bless junior high theater teachers because they're, they really are a special, um, (laughs) they're a special human being who just deserve all the grace and love and hugs and everything. Um, and what made it so challenging is at, at Seven Lakes Junior High, my teaching partner, Katie Wood and I, who's still just one of my very dear friends, we were in a program we wanted every kid. Like, I'm a firm believer, if a kid wants to be in a show, you put that kid in a show. You put them in a show because again, you never know the impact that that one experience might have (laughs) on the trajectory of their life. So even though we had a huge, I mean, between the two of us, we had nearly 200 students in our theater program at Seven Lakes Junior High, huge junior high. Um, But if you're, anybody in the school could audition. And if you wanted to be in that show, we were gonna find a place for you. Um, So I think it was the sheer numbers of kids that we were working with. And how do you control the chaos? You know what I mean? And I, I don't, 
I actually function well in chaos because um, there's there's calm in the chaos that others can't see. I just borrowed that from a great young adult novel called Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany D. Jackson. Everybody <laughs> add it to your reading lists. Um, but that production challenged me, because it's a musical, number one, but it challenged me just the juggling of all the stuff. Right. But then to see that come together on stage yeah. and that messy beauty, oh man, it was all worth it. All of the, you know, near tears, wanting to grab my backpack and leave and walk yeah. out of the room and just, you know, job be damned or whatever. Um, at the end of it, like Katie and I looked at each other and we're like, that's why we do what we do. Yeah, the easy shows are not fulfilling. No, it's, it's the yeah. hard ones. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's in, because if it's, to me, if it's not hard, it's not worth doing. Yeah. If it's not hard, you're not going to learn. I, I honestly think there's a little bit to be said about, so like the last five years, for mm -hmm. instance, two person show. Yeah. Not done very much. Right. I don't think there's a lot of fulfillment for people. It's a great story. It's a great story. You yep. know, it's, it's, as an audience member, I could see them walking away. Right. The most fulfilled out mm -hmm. of other people. But as a director, because I did that show in college, actually. Yeah. But as a director, as an actor, as a technician, you're like, oh, okay. You know, it's like. It's not really a challenge. You're no, telling two done. people what to do. Yeah. It's not a hard tech show. You know, right. so, but then I did Little Mermaid. Yes, I didn't do I the junior version, but I did Little <laughs> Mermaid. And, and I can totally understand yeah. that because it's just one thing after another, after another. just moving, moving, moving. Mm -hmm. um, so I get that. Yeah. Uh, what is, so there's a big philosophy in, in, in school, in mm -hmm. education, not just in theater, that the, that day one, if you're, um, if you're if you lose them on day one you've lost them for the whole year right right so uh give me set up the scenario of walking into miss wernig's class day one because you are one of the nicest people in the world thank you uh and and i i sh if i have never said that to you before i, I should have uh thank but you, like you, there's just there's <laughs> nobody has a bad thing to say about you they're always very positive comments about you That's, thank you for that, that said though mm -hmm. that makes a horrible first day teacher <laughs> <laughs> exactly you're too nice right <laughs> because you yeah. know the kid walks in they're like oh, oh she's, she's the nice easy. i can yeah, yeah she's, she's so easy. sweet yeah yeah by in six weeks i'm gonna have her around my finger like so yeah. what is what's hard ass amy like i mean like like is there is there a version or is it just that you get their respect or? I do, I show yeah. them that I love them. Okay. And I show them that I respect them from the moment that they walk into my class. I love every kid who walks into my room, into my rehearsal hall, into my classroom. Um, I'm gonna get a little teary. I, te I treat them like I want my Beckett and my Zan to be treated by every teacher with whom they interact. Right. To me, all of those kids are my Beckett's and my Zans. Right. Um, so what I do is I show them that love. I show them that I love what I do. Right. And I think when they know that I genuinely want to be there, I am a teacher who believes in what she's doing and wants to be there, that energy, um, they can feel that, a student right. can feel that. Um, and then I do the simplest thing, which I actually learned years ago from one of my interns at the Alley Theater, a brilliant artist named Autumn Knight, who is from Houston. She yeah. graduated from HSPDA. Yeah. She's up in I'm New York doing the thing. She's great. She's amazing. Um, is, and she did um, work with Cornerstone Theater in, uh, Los Angeles is the check-in process. So at the beginning of every single class period, and I don't care how long it takes, we check in. I look every single student in the eye and I say, Blake, check in. How are you doing today? Yeah. And that simple moment of connection, they're knowing that I genuinely care about them as an individual. I want to know how they're doing that day. Yeah. And then I'm going to take that and add that energy into my class. That simple connection makes all the difference in my classroom management. Yeah. Um, and then I keep, and I, but I run, so I, they know that I love them. They know that I care about them. They know that I want to know how they're doing and that I care about that. And I think once your students know that you love and genuinely care about them and genuinely respect them, um, 
you, you build your ensemble immediately. And then I have, you know, and then I've got a structured classroom. We have check-in and then after check-in, we talk about here are our objectives for the day. After that, here's how we're going to do it. And then we get to work. Yeah. Yep. So I have found in all my years of teaching and all of my years of working with young artists, high school and junior high kids, um, that simple check-in process um, makes a world of difference. And that's the foundation of my teaching philosophy. So we'll wrap up because mm -hmm. you, you have work to do. I do. Uh, yes. But... Uh, I, I like sometimes asking fun questions, especially to non-Texans. Uh, what, and you can't say family, family's too easy, but okay. what is something you miss from home, from Ohio? The fall. A seasons. A okay. seasons. I miss four, I can tell you that immediately. I miss four seasons. You are I not miss, the only one to oh, say that. Oh yeah. man, I miss those brilliant, vibrant fall colors and the smell of fall. I miss that desperately. So when we get that like, you know, one hour of fall here yeah. in Texas, I embrace it as much as I possibly can. But yeah, distinctive four seasons, I would say it's definitely what I miss most. That's funny. Do you ever, do you find yourself trying to go back during a specific time of the year so that you yeah. can experience some yeah. of that? I always okay. want to go back during Thanksgiving and okay. sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And by Thanksgiving though, it's often too late because yeah. it's just brown and some, cold and yeah. gross, right? Oh yeah. So um, I've missed the fall yeah, like what is Athens known for? Oh man, um, one of the best universities in the country, Ohio University. Go Bobcats! Yeah, um, <laughs> I could actually back in the day. All this the is, OSU people are like, hey, I, know, I don't know about that. I know. Um, it's um, they have a really vibrant group of local artists. Um, at my, the high school where I taught, we had a ceramic, you know, ceramics class, which a lot of high schools do, yeah. but we also had a jewelry making class. Like we, there is, um, there's a group of artisans and like craft, craftsmanship okay. in Athens that was really just um, so wonderful. And again, just nature, just wonderful hiking and, but yeah. um, very much a community that is about the earth and taking care of the earth and, um, and celebrating the natural beauty around them That's and cool. building it into what they create in that, that community. That explains a lot about you though. I mean, it does oh, yeah. in a way. I mean, because you have that kind of like, we should just love everything. Absolutely. Kind of I mean, what? A, yeah. So. I mean, it's lead with love. I, yeah. And I know that's so cheesy, but it's when you lead with love, the more love you give, the more that you receive. Yeah. And if we all did that, I mean, think about the impact that we can have. Yeah. Not even all, just like just, a small percentage. Just a small percentage. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. again, make this world an even more beautiful place. Yeah. Minor wisdom.